Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this.
welcome to Pro-Life Fridays Radio. It is Friday again. It is June 14th. Happy Flag Day to everybody in America. I hope you know what that means. Thomas, do you know what that means? Nope, but I bet you're going to tell me. (laughs) It is the Flag of the United States Day. Our flag has its own day. Oh, wow. I didn't realize yeah, that. It is. It's, it's, it's Red, White, and Blue Day. Well, in that case, it's something to celebrate. Well, yeah. well, you know how we do it while I'm logging in here. Melissa, why don't you do us the honors today of opening up with prayer, and then after the fact, I will quote our pro-life scripture. I would love to. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, um, thank you so much for another day, another opportunity to um, spread your truth and your love, um, another opportunity to receive your grace and mercy, Lord. We thank you so much um, for um, the opportunity to live in this country and that we can celebrate our flag today and our freedoms. Lord, we pray that our country would not forget the incredible foundation that you helped um, to lay this country um, upon and that we would return to that, Lord, and and, um, not um, turn our backs on you, Lord. So I pray for repentance for our nation, for our nation and for us individually as we um, turn our hearts and our lives towards you, Lord. I pray that you bless this show, our time together. Lord, I pray that you use this show to um, get the truth out, that um, all life that you create is sacred, should be protected, um, and is valuable, Lord. And I pray that you regard our hearts, our minds, and our words. May they all be glorifying and, um, in your sight and encouraging to our listeners. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 And you know our scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, which says, I record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed might live. And with that, Miss Letitia, you go ahead and open up with your monologue because I'm still connecting to the studio. So go ahead, take it away. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't have a monologue so much today as I um, something that ran across my inbox. Just, I don't know. I, it just set me on fire because this is this is no ordinary. Let me set this up. This is no ordinary instance of a liberal pro-abortion politician uh, supporting standard liberal pro-abortion things. This is Nancy Pelosi, the former Speaker of the House, the minority leader in the House today, uh, being asked a very pointed question that relates to the Kermit Gosnell uh, trial. And then she, she responds. So I wanted to play this audio for everybody. I know it's hard to hear, but uh, hang in there as best as you can, and I will describe it afterward. Mm-hmm. Um, members who 
her idea that America is filled with intellectual dolts, that we don't understand the words coming out of her mouth. Right. Now, here she's coming around again, this time taking a swipe at the entire Catholic state to redefine a very pro-life, anti-abortion stance that the Pope himself endorses wholeheartedly, 100%, turning on his head and saying, abortion is sacred ground. I am sorry, even as a non-Catholic, I'm offended. And for saying that, then turning a question, remember, she did not answer the reporter's question at all. Wait, 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 wait. Letitia, wait a minute. Did you just say that she called abortion sacred ground? That's what she just said. Would you like me to play mm-hmm. it for you again? No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, she always sounds like she has rocks in her mouth, but that's neither here nor there. But, you know, that that would be the... Wouldn't you say that's kind of like the equivalent of the president saying, God bless you, um, Planned Parenthood for what you do? It is. It's outrageous. It's completely outrageous. And never do I usually get um, this excited and just go all flaming out on, on some politician and just say, oh, that's just ridiculous. But this is absolutely over-the-top ridiculous. And I don't usually like to say it that way because I like to use more accurate and better descriptions of what I think is so ridiculous about it. Because it's one thing for me to just to sit here and say that's ridiculous, but you have no idea what I think is so ridiculous about it until I get into it. But this is my initial reaction. I feel like just tossing the tables up into the air, you know, with my computer on it going, I can't believe she just said that abortion, the act of killing, legalized killing of unborn children, is sacred ground. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what, though? Here, here's the problem. Here's the problem. And this Catherine Davis is going to really address this as well. We have to remember one thing. There are multiple victims when it comes to abortion. You have the babies, first and foremost, but then you have the lie that these girls who, first of all, you know, they don't understand the fact that you're not, you have another option other than to give up your baby. But what do you hear in school? You hear stuff like in sex education class, well, more girls get pregnant from abstinence than anything else. Okay, Letitia, I'm confused by that. If a girl is abstaining from sex, how is she getting pregnant? Immaculate conception? I read that as a statistic the other day. What they mean by that is that just teaching kids to abstain from having sex before they're old enough or before they're married um, isn't good enough to stop them from having sex. 
And so when they have sex, they have unprotected sex. So the, so the solution, the liberal solution, is to kind of mitigate the consequences. So if you're going to do it, here, have a condom. Here, have birth control pill. Oh, here's your, your plan B. Now it's available for you when you're, thir- you're 15. Um, and without, without understanding what they're really doing instead is putting gas in the car. You're mm-hmm. going to drive the car anyway, and you're going to go over the speed limit, and you're going to crash into a tree, maybe. Right. You know, so one of the things. Instead of trying to keep you from driving that car, we're going to put gas in the car. Right. You, you know, guys, one of the, the things that really that this brings out to me clearly is just the hypocrisy in terms of these politicians who wear the name Catholic or wear the name Christian or wear whatever name it is that they wear um, for votes or for just um, their own statuses. And then they say and do things that are so diametrically opposed to what they claim to be. I mean, it is no secret the Catholic Church is teaching on abortion. I mean, everyone knows what they teach. And for her to use Catholic and to make such a statement in the same um, sentence is ridiculous, and I hope that the Catholic community does hold her accountable for that. Um, and and likewise, those of us in the Protestant community need to hold uh, others accountable as well who wear uh, the Protestant name. You know, it's they they need to stop getting away with with playing uh, this double edged sword, one against the other, right. um, to their convenience. Yeah. And they need to be held accountable. Yeah. Right. Notice what she it, said. At the very end, after she said that abortion is sacred ground, she said that she didn't want to argue with the uh, reporter who was simply asking a question to the answer. Uh, she didn't want to argue with the uh, the question uh, talking about abortion because uh, she didn't want to politicize it. It's not a political issue. Oh, really? On the one mm-hmm. hand, we have Catholic politicians who don't want to talk about abortion. Their support of abortion, I should say. They don't want to talk about their support for abortion, for legal abortion, because it's not a political issue. They don't want to make it a political issue. And on the same side, here's my criticism of the response that I I see. Um, Many Catholic bishops will not deny communion to pro-abortion Catholic politicians because they don't want to politicize the church. Okay, that does not make any sense. Right. <laughs> Either it is a political issue or it is not a political issue. This is a simple case of logic. It is either one or the other. It cannot be uh, – it's either either political or non-political. If you say – if a politician, someone in politics, says it's not a political issue – and a religious figure who is not involved in politics says to get involved into that is a political issue. That is a direct conflict Mm -hmm. of issues. They are diametrically opposed to each other, and they cannot simultaneously exist without somebody's brain blowing up. I don't know who's going to go first. At this point, right, right. Well, you know, 
it's probably time for me to get my dialogue on. What do you think? <laughs> you better do this before I start running away with this. <laughs> yeah, it probably would be the best thing. But, you know, in light of Congressman Trent Frank, a congressman from the 8th District in Arizona who made the choice to stand up for life. And once again, you have our um, Republican establishment who have went after him hardcore. Now, we're hoping to have Congressman Franks on the show at a later date. We wasn't able to get him today because as we're speaking, He's in the air flying back home to Arizona. So, um, but here's I the love issue. Arizona. I really do. <laughs> the last few days, and both of you, both of you know me because both of you are Facebook friends with me. You, you both know that I'm not really one on my Facebook page or on anyone else's Facebook page. I'm not one to get into confrontations or arguments about anything. Well, for the last few days since um, the Congressman Frank situation has come out, two different Facebook pages, my friend Janaka and then Dr. Timothy Johnson's Facebook page, individuals decided to make disparaging remarks about not only Congressman Franks, but Congressman Aiken. And here's here's what I told the first individual. I said because he called he called uh, he called Congressman Aiken an idiot. And so what I said to him, I said, you know, in a nutshell, the only idiots are those who refuse to take a stand for life and be principled on it instead of running and hiding like the cowards. They are, and then today, and I also went. I also went deeper into it. But today, I really unloaded on the lady today. Today, because she called Congressman Frank and all us pro lifers, she calls us zealots. And you know what I told her? This is what I said to her: the only zealots that I see are those who think that it's okay to kill the unborn baby. And then this, I and I made a very brutal and a harsh analogy, which is true. Abortion is slavery on steroids. And if you are a staunch abortion supporter, Nancy Pelosi, Meg Rao, Planned Parenthood, American Abortion Federation, all you individuals, that makes you nothing more than a slave master. You're, that's your equivalent. Because you think that that baby is that person's property that she has the right to kill that baby, you might need to wake up and smell the coffee. Because no one died and made you God. And that's my monologue for today. All right. Well, I mean, we've said this before many times. 
that abortion is slavery, and I stand by that. Mm. Melissa, you were going to say something. <laughs> oh no, I was just I was telling Thomas those are some very good points, and um, we're seeing so much hypocrisy. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's killing me, you know, all the the hypocrisy. We're seeing um, we're really seeing this abortion issue at the front and center of a lot of debate and dialogue. And I think that that's a good thing in a sense, you know, where people are finally talking about this issue, whereas they've, tr- they've tried to sweep it under the rug for so long. And the Gosnell case has really um, brought this uh, this issue to the front and forth center of a lot of discussion and, as we see, a lot of political uh, issues as well. Right. Oh, yeah. Um our number to call in if you'd like to comment and ask uh, one of our hosts a question is 760-542-3907. Um, do we have our guest on the line? Not yet. Not yet? All right. Well, um, I, I just wanted to say um, in follow-up to what I had said before, because every time I say this, I feel like I need to explain it, because for our first-time listeners especially, um, when I say things like abortion is slavery, I'm not just being uh, overly inflammatory. I mean every word of that. Um, when, when a human being, when you use that person, uh, in order and have them around or or their the value of their life is worth how much they can contribute to society, how much they can contribute to your life or somebody else's life when they are only valuable in so far as somebody wants them around for some purpose right uh, that's slavery that is slavery in a nutshell. And when a person is disposable, that means that person is a slave to whoever feels or thinks that their life is is disposable. Yeah, but the question that we have to ask ourselves, who are they to determine who's disposable? This is... this the issue that I have. Who are they to determine who is disposable? I'm quite frankly, I am sick and tired of people thinking that they can, that basically they decide whose life is more important, you know, and you have, think about, think about Mayafa 21, you know, in, in Mayasa, they talked about all the elitists who basically because they they thought that they were so much better than anybody else that you know if you were if you were poor, you were licensed for death, marked for death, you know Nazi Germany. The biggest thing that people remember about of Nazi Germany, Hitler, and the Holocaust is the death of six million Jews. They forgot the other four million people. Of those other four million people, two million of those people that were killed by Nazi Germany and Hitler's death squad were Afro-Germans. 
but you don't hear that a lot in the history books. Then you also had homosexuals, you had Catholics, and many other groups. Yes, six million Jews were killed, but like everything else, why do we sanitize history? If we're going, yes, it was a Holocaust, but more than six people were, six million people were killed by Hitler. He killed a total of 10 million people in those furnaces, in those concentration camps. But you know, right, not, our country. Not to mention, not to mention before, any, before the concentration, concentration camps were were put into use. The Germans said the Nazi, let me take this, let me, let me be more specific, the Nazi party in control right. had already perfected their killing techniques on the disabled through the Action T4 right. program. 200,000, 200,000 disabled, mentally disabled men, women, and children were executed. Mm-hmm. Either with bullets, or being pushed out a window, or being gassed. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Before they even before they even loaded one Jew onto a train car headed to a concentration camp, they had already right. killed, you know, a fairly large city's worth of people. Hmm. Hey, I'm going to let you two discuss that among yourselves, and I'm going to go ahead and call our guest and get on the line. So be right back. All right. Let's let's take a break right now, and uh, if you have a question or would like to call in, the number to call in for Life Fridays is 760-542-3907. I'll see you on the other side of a break. We had a whole plan that sold abortions, and it was called sex education. Break down their natural modesty, separate them from their parents and their values, and become the sex expert in their life so they turn to us. When we would give them a low-dose birth control pill they would get pregnant on or a defective condom. Our goal was three to five abortions from every girl between the ages of 13 and 18 multitudes of people that have been hurt by abortion. It's just unfathomable. That abortion is really, to me, the ultimate exploitation of women. It is so shameful and secretive that many women don't tell anybody that they've had an abortion. They won't say anything for 20, 30, 40, 55 years. They're so traumatized. Silence. U.S. Senate report states Physicians, biologists, and other scientists agree that conception marks the beginning of the life of a human being, a being that is alive and is a member of the human species. There is an overwhelming agreement on this point in countless medical, biological, and scientific writings. Planned Parenthood is expanding now. They're building gigantic abortion clinics in anticipation of socialized medicine. There's a lot of money involved. We never would take personal checks. We always encourage the ladies to bring cash. Why is that? So, a lot, you don't have to report cash, friend. When you're fighting for your life, 
need to know what you're fighting for. And if what you're fighting for is life, how do you destroy a life in an effort to fight that fight? I'm fighting so hard to save myself that I'll kill someone else to get that. I recognized I'd been involved in the death of 35,000 babies. And the truth has really come out about what abortion does to women, let alone the unborn baby, our dead babies. It will be over. Her mouth is. 
but tonight he is going to address something that, in my opinion, is kind of taboo because there is actually, and I have heard it from their own mouth, there are a certain segment in a pro in our pro life movement that actually wasn't that concerned about women who died from body abortion. They actually made and I heard them say, Well, that's what happens when you sin. Yeah. I feel a little bit of that too. Yeah. It kind of irritated me. So what Miss Catherine is going to talk about tonight is something that she is that she uh, that God has put on our heart to address, and that is what is being done to the women who are who are getting the abortions, who are not surviving the abortions. Miss Catherine, thank you for coming. So welcome to Life Friday. Thank you for having me on. It's my <clears throat> Privilege to be with you tonight. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, let's start. Let's start right from the beginning. What was the catalyst that um, sparked that sparked um, your desire, if you will, to really tackle the issue of women being just basically brutalized by the abortionists? Stop. I mean, literally, and I don't want you to censor anything. I want you to talk graphically about some of the things that you shared with me the other day. I want you to tell the listening audience exactly what these abortion doctors do to these women. Oh, it is absolutely horrific. I think we got a glimpse of it when uh, we heard about Kermit Gosnell. Um, While we heard about him snipping the baby's spinal cords, what wasn't talked about that much was uh, how he treated the women. First and foremost, he had segregation in his facility. He allowed uh, white women to go to one part of the building that was cleaner uh, and more presentable than where he directed black and brown women. He would literally beat the women if they were crying and maybe even change their mind. There was testimony about one woman. She had changed her mind, didn't want the abortion. He told uh, them to med her up, to knock her out, and they took the life of her baby anyway. Um, um, And then this whole idea of pain capable, it does fit. But what the part that we haven't talked about is what does it do to the woman to get an abortion at 20 weeks or above, even 16, 17 weeks or above. That's actually more dangerous for the woman. It's more likely that they're going to perforate her uterus or pull out her bowels or her intestines or in the case of Tanya Reeves, even kill you. Uh, Tanya Reeves was a young 24-year-old woman out of Chicago that Planned Parenthood left laying for 
more than five hours in that facility rather than moving her the 1.7 miles down the street to the trauma unit. That's a young woman that didn't have to die. These abortionists care nothing about women. Uh Yeah, and so, you know, something we need to wake up to, our cousins, our nieces, our aunties, our sisters are going into these facilities thinking that they're, quote, exercising their choice, and it never crosses their mind that they may not come back out, or if they do come out, they may never be able to have children again because these butchers don't exercise a reasonable standard of care or that they may come out with a venereal disease because these butchers don't clean the instruments in between uh, each abortion. I mean, it's just horrific how women are being brutalized and victimized in these abortion centers, um, and yet the, the rabid feminists would have us to believe that, that the government uh, should never regulate these abortion centers, and I, I just disagree with that wholeheartedly. Absolutely. Um, one, I, yes, I mean, we, we hear a lot about the abuses of abortion clinics and sometimes the deaths, but we don't hear a lot about uh, how women are infected with disease. Uh, I, I believe hepatitis is is something that is a very real real threat, um, a real risk of uh, contracting H. Um, uh, how, what did I say? Hepatitis C. Hepatitis C, gonorrhea, right. syphilis, AIDS, HIV. Because these doctors are not safe. They are not exercising right. a reasonable standard of medical care. And if you go. I did hear a story not too long ago. I can't quite recall how long ago, but uh, um, less than two years ago, where an abortion doctor was cited for intentionally uh, infecting his patients with hepatitis C. Yes, and some of these doctors are so wicked that they actually have sex with their patients uh, when their patients are knocked out or they inappropriately touch them, not for an exam, but for his own physical pleasure. You have reports of some of these physicians even taking pictures of the women's body parts. Gosnell was the one that did that. Um, The list is very, very long of women that have been traumatized physically and mentally by these abortionists and yet we don't talk about it, we don't hear about it. Um, I'm encouraging Congressman Trent Franks today to break the silence and to talk about it as he's talking about the paying capable um, bill. I'm encouraging him to talk about how many women uh, have been impacted by a late-term abortion, either in giving up their lives in addition to the baby's life, like Janet uh, Morbelli out of New York or Samika Shaw or mm-hmm. even one here in Georgia, Sharika Mayo, we need to, need to make sure these women didn't give their lives in vain. 
and it is time to sound the alarm so that every woman knows abortion is not the safest surgical procedure uh, uh, like the pro-abortion groups want us to believe. And, in fact, the later the abortion, the greater the risk to the mother that she will not survive it herself. Right. Right. Before uh-huh. before before you go on, I was wondering um, if if you will, would you share just a little of your personal testimony with our listeners? Oh, I am a post-abortive woman myself. Actually, I had uh, two abortions. I had the first one the year before <laughs> Roe v. Wade was. Um, decided, and actually, I believe the abortionist that did my abortion was Alan Guttmacher. Um, but I know, I knew back then that I was taking the life of my baby. And this is the interesting thing when you're dealing mostly with black women. I'm not sure that any of us were ever convinced that we weren't taking the life of our child. I've never heard a black woman outside of the ones that have been coached and or paid to say fetus call her baby a fetus. We always called it what it was, a baby. Um, and But I had a hard heart back then. I was very selfish and self-centered and didn't want the responsibility of a child because even then I knew if I had told my mother what was going on, she would have taken the child herself and raised it. So I was selfish and hard-hearted and just didn't want that uh, responsibility back then. If I could go now and take it back, of course I would, but, you know, we all make choices um, that that are not wise and that are uh, not self-serving. When I became a Christian was when I had to face what I had done to my two children. Um, And until then, I kind of had what I call the Scarlet O'Hara complex. You know, I'd always say, I'll think about that tomorrow. So when tomorrow came and I had to think about it, I was literally paralyzed in my guilt. But that was when... The Lord, in his mercy, had mercy on me and called me to be a voice for the voiceless. And that was the launching of my pro-life work some 27 years ago. Wow. Um, This is Letitia here. I wanted to to ask you to share us, what was your life after your first abortion? Was it? And your second, was it what people had said that abortion was going to be for women? Was it a liberation for you? Uh, Did it make things better? Was it an exercise of your rights? Did it make you feel like you were in control? Well, actually, um, those were not thoughts that I had at the time. I will say that I knew that what I had done was wrong. I knew that what I had done was going to impact me for the rest of my life. In fact, um, after the first abortion, I actually fainted. 
um, and they had to resuscitate me and all that kind of stuff because when I stood up, I knew that I had made an irrevocable decision. There was no way I could go back and put that child back in me. Um, But as I said, I had the Scarlett O'Hara complex, so I really didn't think about it. And and honestly, I think that was the grace of God um, because I believe it would have haunted me. And ultimately, I might have done what so many other women have done, which is to commit suicide because Mm -hmm. uh, of the guilt of of the decision that you made. Um, But as I said, I didn't think about it until that fateful day. I actually got saved, moved to Richmond, Virginia, and my pastor, who is Bishop Wellington Boone, they used to have what they called noon days. Uh, three or four days a week where you would go to church and have a Bible study on your lunch hour rather than eat. And on this particular day, I went to the Bible study just thinking we were going to be studying the Bible. You know, the good news, Jesus died for me when the topic was abortion. And by the time those two men of God got finished talking about it, I was literally paralyzed in my guilt because I then had to face the decision uh, that I made. And I thank God that he gave me two uh, men over my life spiritually who understood what I was going through. So they were able to come over and lay hands on me and pray for me until I was released. Uh, by the Lord from the guilt until I could get understanding that at the point that I asked the Lord to forgive me, he did. Um, And right after that, Bishop Boone put a book in my hand uh, called Grand Delusions, The Legacy of Planned Parenthood, and gave me a charge to go forth and be an agent of change. And again, that's what launched my pro-life ministry, because these men understood it and prayed me through it. Wow. Wow. That's that's powerful. That is so powerful. Let me let me ask you this. Um in at what point in in your ministry um did it become aware to you just how pervasive the targeting of the black community was by not just Planned Parenthood, but the abortion community as a whole. At what point did you realize that was going on? Actually, when I finished reading uh, Grand Delusions, I knew that the black community was being targeted. Um, because that book made it very clear. That was the first time I ever heard of the Negro Project and everything that was connected with the Negro Project. Um, Unfortunately, many people don't believe that the black community is being targeted because uh, the language that the pro-abortion community used is language of choice, And people say, well, you know, nobody's making these women go in there and and get an abortion. They're exercising their choice. 
So it seems like, well, there can't be targeting because we are choosing to take the life of the baby. And that's not exactly true. Um, It's just been recently, however, that I could give you an independent study that very clearly documents the targeting. And that study was done by an organization called Protecting Black Life. And they took the 2010 census data uh, and studied it by census tract, comparing it to the location of Planned Parenthood's surgical centers. And they concluded that 79% of Planned Parenthood surgical centers are located within a two-mile walking radius of a black or Latino neighborhood. Um, and so it's by design. And, and those centers are there to attract uh, women into them. When you see Planned Parenthood release their videos and social media or, um, you know, their commercials or whatever they do, one of the things that you notice very quickly is that they always use black faces, black athletes, black entertainers, like the guy from Necessary Roughness that one of the abortion uh, industry members uh, was celebrating 40 years of abortion, and they had Mishad, Taylor Mishad, I don't know his last name, um, the actor on Necessary Roughness, give this very sexual uh, message, very uh, steamy kind of message, celebrating 40 years of abortion. It was um, it was just horrible. But anyway, they will use oh, folks like that. I'm we sorry, have say the it. audio of that ad. And uh, if, if, uh, if Thomas would like to me to play it, I will play it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I want you to play it. His name is Mishad Brooks. Oh, yeah. Mishad Brooks, that's his name. Yes, please do play. Did you think I forgot? (laughs) I didn't forget. How could I ever forget our anniversary? All these years, so many people said we'd never make it. They've been trying to tear us apart, take you away, put limits on you. But every time we've proven ourselves stronger, an anniversary like this is not something that you forget. No, 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 baby. It is something that you fight for. And that's exactly what I'm going to do, baby. Fight. A few of us. Well, actually, a couple hundred thousand of us have chipped in to get you something mighty special, baby. And we're going to be standing right by your side today, tomorrow, and the years to come. Cut it off. That is how much you like me. Cut it off. It it, it ends with something like mm mm mm, and every time I hear that, I want to say mm mm mm. George W. Bush. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we played that before, and we've had people, we've had our callers just kind of the the hairs on the back of their neck kind of go up, saying that is just the creepiest thing I've ever heard. And let me tell you something, though. What he what he was saying, he's not talking to women out there. That ad is not about women. It is about abortion. He is talking to yes. abortion. Yes. 
Exactly. <laughs> and and it, that's a sick mind that came up with that, and even oh, sicker yeah. that they could get a black man to exactly. uh, to come out and even celebrate abortion in that way, particularly given the uh, horrific impact that abortion has had in the black community. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, every time I hear it, I just want to go find him and punch him in the face and say, what is wrong with you? <laughs> but we can't do that. So I could you just say that I know. I'm sorry. You're not, I said you're not the only one because I have a question for everyone. Am I the only one that had a physical nauseating reaction to that? No, you're not. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. You're not the only one. Yeah. Uh, It's it's, it's a, a horrific ad about a very violent procedure that is, um, in many instances, taking the lives of women. In fact, I am looking for a graphic artist. I'm going to find one, too, that has the ability to do a motion graphic video that shows one of these abortionists rolling up in front of uh, an abortion center in his Benz or B&W or Maybach or whatever his car of choice is, and out of the car comes a coat hanger that, as it gets closer to the door, morphs into a man as he enters a Planned Parenthood facility. Because if we really think about it, that is exactly what has happened. Those back alley abortionists that wouldn't show their faces to the light of day were given the ability to come out of those back alleys and into these abortion centers where they are doing what they did um, so many times over the years which is either kill a woman or reproductively maim her for the rest mm-hmm. of her life. Um, right. Somehow we've got to help people to see that uh, abortion is not a friend of women. Abortion victimizes women, and it it still takes women's lives, and it takes children's lives, and it injures, whether psychologically or physically, the woman uh, for the rest of her life, that if we didn't have a merciful God, uh, we would not be able to um, survive the guilt that would come, especially for the women that can't have children. I have a dear friend of mine who, when she was in college, her chaplain paid for her to get an abortion, took Mm. her to get it. And what she didn't know back then but now knows today is that was the only child she would ever conceive. And later in life, she ended up having to have a hysterectomy um, uh, because because of cancer. And so Mm -hmm. she never realized her dream to be a mother. Um. And we need to talk about those kind of things because you go in thinking that you are making the best decision for yourself at that time, not realizing the long-term ramifications of the decision and how that may be a fatal 
decision, so to speak, because you are killing your opportunity uh, to mother and to to have a family down the line. Right. Imagine if instead of the ads celebrating abortion in general, we kind of honed in on specific use of abortion and say it was 40 years of black genocide that we were celebrating or 40 years of female gender side that we were supporting. How would, I mean, I just want to throw that out there for people who to think about how, I mean, if that ad were to change just ever so slightly and instead of celebrating Roe v. Wade, we were celebrating 40 years of the last, the last 40 years of gender side in China. Right. How would that come across to people? Would we? Exactly. Would, would they be throwing flowers at the television? I don't think so. Exactly. Exactly. I, I think it would make a big point if there were, if we could modify that kind of message to show people. Let's say we do have 40 years of black genocide, which we do have going on, and have that ad. Say how how do you like that black community being being taken down in population and kept down for the last forty years plus? Oh, not only that, but the the recent headlines uh, that came out uh, yesterday or today basically revealed that the white uh, birth rate. The birth rate mm-hmm. in the Caucasian community has so declined that um, I'm trying to find the little article uh, so I can say it exactly the way they said it. But oh, here it is: white deaths outnumber births for the first time in history. Mm. So it's not only black genocide; it's white genocide because now you have more white people dying than are born. And in mm-hmm. the black community, it's the same thing. Like in New York City, you have more black babies that are aborted than are born. The right. the ramification right. of that is lesser numbers of people, which have all kinds of ramifications uh, for the economy, for education, for health care, because guess what? We're killing our doctors, we're killing our teachers, we're killing our nurses, we're killing uh, perhaps the the engineer that could construct the car that we would be flying in our cars instead of riding on the ground. You know, we don't know. We're killing our future. We're killing our legacy. Um, one of the things I tell people all the time, particularly about the black community, and, and you would never think that about the black community, but the truth uh, is that blacks come from a legacy of genius. And let me tell you why I say that. We had people coming out of the black community who had been denied equal education, who had been denied equal rights. Um, simply because of the color of their skin, but yet these people were pioneering fields like nobody else did. For example, Dr. Vivian Thomas, who did go to high school and was saving to go to medical school because he wanted to be a doctor, but the crash of 29 happened, and yet 
he pioneered heart surgery, even though he lost all of his money in the crash and never did go to uh, to medical school. Because of the research that he did uh, in touching the heart, because back then they believed if you touched the heart, it automatically meant you would die. But he pioneered the procedure to bring blue babies back into healthy lives. And we all know Dr. Ben Carson, who uh, grew up with a mother who was not a high school graduate, who couldn't read for much of his life, and yet he is a world-renowned surgeon, neurosurgeon, the best uh, pediatric neurosurgeon in the world. Um, and we can go across every genre. It doesn't matter. You will find black fingers in there somewhere. And yet we've been sold the bill of goods that we are victims who can't learn, who can't achieve, and our children are living up to that because that's the bar that we have set for them. But what would happen if we were to awaken our young people to understand who they really are according to the legacy that we leave in the earth? And we stop telling children what they can't do and begin to encourage them for what they can do. It would, it would change the entire world. And that's what I tell people. Let's not keep painting this picture of poverty-mindedness where uh, our children are, are indoctrinated to believe that they can't learn or that they can't achieve and start going back to what was said to me when I was growing up, even though I grew up in a housing project in Connecticut, I was never told that there was anything that I couldn't do. I was always told I could do whatever I wanted to do as long as I put my mind to it and went forward and got the skill set that I needed to do it. What would happen if we did that again? I think it would change the nation. It certainly would change this paradigm that we're in of killing our children uh, before they ever have a chance at greatness. Amen. Wow. Ms. Catherine, I was wondering if I could could get you to stick around with us because I am going to have someone um, call in who's going to share a powerful documentary film project that uh, I was honored to be a part of. And I would like for him to have an opportunity to share his project and share the heart and the vision behind the project. So I was wondering if you could stick around because I want you, after, after the interview, I want you to talk about something that went on in Houston that, which we talked about, which made Kermit Gosnell basically look like Barney. So I'll just leave it at that. So could you hang on for a minute? Absolutely. Leticia, go ahead and take it. Society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. I do not join in the belief that the African is our equal in brain or in heart. 
We are paying for and even submitting to the dictates of an ever-increasing, unceasingly spawning class of human beings who never should have been born at all. The laws of nature require the obliteration of the unfit. The best way to hate a nigger is to hate him before he is born. American eugenicists were routinely praising Hitler and holding up the Nazi eugenics program as a model for the United States to copy. Non-white races must be excluded from America. The red and black races, if left to themselves, revert to a savage or semi-savage state in a short time. The only way possible of decreasing Negro population is by means of controlling fertility. Birth control facilities could be extended relatively more to Negroes than to whites, since Negroes are more concentrated in the lower income and education class. We hope that the restraint of population growth can come about through voluntary means. But if it does not, involuntary methods will be used. There should be national sterilization for certain dysgenic types of our population who are being encouraged to breed and would die out for the government not feeding them. If this movement continues, we soon may be accused of fighting poverty by eliminating the poor and overcoming hunger by removing the hungry. For all their failures, what the eugenics movement had accomplished was to lay the foundation for the next phase of their plan. And this is where they would find the success that they had been chasing for over 100 years. Welcome back to Pro-Life Fridays Radio here on the Visible Conservative Radio Network. I'm your host, Thomas. I have my two awesome, phenomenal co-hosts, Leticia and Melissa. Now... <laughs> I was blessed uh, to have an opportunity for the first to ever share my my story, and I was kind of nervous at first, but I want to say just the way the way this gentleman, our next guest, handled everything, it was it was phenomenal. His name is Keith Humphrey. And he's going to share about his project and what caused him to what what moves his heart to do it. Because please join me in welcoming Miss Keith, Mister Keith Humphrey, to the show. Keith, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. I'm I'm I'm, I'm privileged to be on the show and share with your listeners about our project. I was skeptical at first. My friend, Kevin Williams, was talking about his idea. He wanted to have this show made that would interview women who had been pregnant from rape and that they could explain in their own words how abortion was not a solution to their problems and how they had chosen to give birth and were glad they did and and found hope and healing in the lives of their child. I was skeptical because it's like, how do you find these women? And even if you did... It's not something that you'd want to talk about. <laughs> I wouldn't think that they'd want to go on camera about these things because it's most of the, most of the time these situations are, are hushed up. But after 40 years, we still get the same old tripe arguments about what about rape and incest, as if it would be an acceptable circumstance for an abortion because, you know, they, even if they concede the point that abortion, of course, is never in the best interest of the baby, it's in the best interest of the mother, and it's kind of a trade-off. But, in fact, it's not in the best interest of the mother. <laughs> this is an easy argument to demolish. So 
Um, we're working, we're traveling the country with the, with this film crew, and we are interviewing actual women who are pregnant from rape or incest or who were pressured to abort a special needs child who chose to give birth anyway and found out that uh, things weren't as bad as the doctors said they would be. And uh, generally trying to address this whole issue of exceptions as if abortion is acceptable in certain cases. So uh, the, the story we got from Thomas Smith was amazing because it was um, very often that ectopic pregnancies are aborted. It's just a routine prescription. Every time a tubal pregnancy is noticed, they're saying, oh, you're going to die, your baby's going to die, you have to abort now or else, you know, and your baby's going to die anyway and you've got to abort now and abort now. And women are just scared into following the doctor's advice. But uh, Thomas shares his testimony of his mother had such courage that even if she, her life was threatened and she, even if she would die, she was willing to go through with it to give natural birth to a tubal prince. And that's well, how Thomas Smith and his mother, in fact, uh, gave natural birth to him from a tubal pregnancy, and she she actually died in the delivery room but was, was resuscitated. And she's alive today, and, and he's alive today, and is a great spokesman for the pro-life cause. So we see that all these stories, uh, if we despise the conventional wisdom and choose life, we find that they, they often have a happy ending. And it's just amazing that the blessings that have come our way since working on this project like I said, I didn't think that a whole lot would come up when I first when I first joined the team and, and started working on this. I was not sure what was going to happen, but I was just amazed at the blessings that have come our way with all the volunteers that have stepped up and, and offered to give their testimony and of how many people there are actually in the world who have been conceived in rape. In fact, um, it was interesting. We, we interviewed a guy the other day who was – conceived and raised and was raised in a foster care home and was adopted and he grew up and then he had a long and distinguished career in law enforcement and he became the mayor of the city of Fort Collins for multiple terms. And so this whole idea that people who are conceived and raped are somehow bad seed or they're, or they're, uh, there's something wrong with them. You know, you, we don't want more rapists in the world like as if a, a rapist father gives birth to more rapist children or something like that. We find that every children that comes into the world, uh, who, we, who we become in this world is not necessarily corresponding in any way to the circumstances by which we came into this world. So being conceived in rape or conceived in incest is not necessarily have anything to do with the kind of person that you become. In fact, um, there's exactly. a common misconception that... Um, Incest babies are deformed, but that's that's very rare. In fact, it doesn't doesn't happen except uh, after you know several generations of inbreeding. So it's just amazing seeing the testimonies of these people, and uh, I just wanted to encourage the viewers about uh, uh, encourage the listeners about uh, the fact that this argument is easily winnable. This 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 tired strife about oh we we need abortion because because no we don't need abortion for anything. And killing a baby never helps a mother. Never helps a mother. Of course, it never helps a baby. Who does it help? It helps the abortionist. It helps the rapist. It helps the child molester. They profit from it. In, in the case of the rapist and the child molester, it, can, it destroys the evidence of their crime. 
and it helps them to go back and victimize more women or victimize the same women again. And right. Yeah, and they, and they say they're champions of women's rights. But, in fact, they don't really care about women who are raped or, or molested because what do they want to do? They want to take, destroy the evidence and send them right back to the perpetrator in many cases. In the case of incest, usually the girl goes right back to the perpetrator and suffers a private hell of, of shame and disgrace of being victimized over and over. So right. if we care about women... I mean, often the case is, you know, pro-lifers are confronted. Ah, you don't care about women. You're just, uh, you know, insensitive uh, fetus lovers or something. <laughs> but uh, in, in fact, if we care about women and what's good for women, we should outlaw all abortions under all mm-hmm. circumstances because killing the baby never helps the woman. So it's just amazing how this turns the tide. We're hoping this will just change hearts and minds and turn the tide in the debate about abortion. Right. This is Leticia. Thank you for coming on the program. Tell us a little bit more about uh, what you're working on. Uh, when are we? When can we expect to see this? Is it going to be? Uh, how available is it? And just you know, usher us to that that viewing. Help help us out here. Yes. Um, well, you know, we're we're doing what we can with what we have, and we can't promise that it's going to be available on a certain date. But our target date for the the release is before Thanksgiving. So we hope to have it publicly released before Thanksgiving. We hope to host it on a YouTube channel, and as well as producing a DVD, which which Thomas Smith can distribute and make available to listeners. So it's a um, it's a it's something where we're allowing other pro life ministries such as his, to give away, the, uh, or to, we're, we're going to give it away to his ministry, and he can make it available to his listeners uh, for a nominal charge. And this is something that is, um, we want the message to get out as, as far and wide as possible. And so we're going to uh, help, and we're going to enlist the help of other pro-life ministries to distribute the video to as many people as, as possible. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Um Tell us, um, so you have a lot of volunteers come and work on uh, the filming and volunteer their stories. Um, and you have said you thought it was going to be hard to find post-abortive women who had conceived from rape. Were you surprised at how many you could find? Yeah, well, not only that, but I was surprised on how willing they were to talk. Um, wow. And, and, and Primarily, we're interviewing um, women who have chosen to give birth. In fact, over 80%, uh, this is from uh, two separate studies that we we researched, over 80% of women who are pregnant from rape choose to give birth. And so while some are pressured, those who abort are often pressured to abort against their will because, you know, for them, the child is a victim as well as they are. And they are both in it together. And if they, if they, and they find love and, and, and healing from each other, the child helps the mother um, recover from the shame and, and, and the, the loss of a sense of self-worth. And the child, of course, is, is loved of his mother in a special way because of the unusual circumstances by which he entered the world. So this, this helps the woman in a great way. And of course, for the uh, the for the child that's born in incest, 
this helps restore a sense of normalcy to the life of the girl. The girl is very confused. She does, she has a very dysfunctional family. Uh, one of her family members is is abusing her, and she doesn't really know what's going on or why this is happening, or doesn't really realize that this is not the, what goes on in, in in normal families. But she desperately wants a normal family. She doesn't want her father or or, or stepfather or uncle, whoever the perpetrator is necessarily to be hauled off to jail um, because she wants a normal family. You know, she doesn't want, um, and she doesn't necessarily want to run off on her own and be all alone. She wants a normal family. And this is the only option that really gives her a normal family uh, is to have her own child. And then she has uh, someone who loves her unconditionally and it restores a sense of normalcy. So the very best thing that we can do for victims of incest is to let them keep their babies. And uh, if, they're, if they're not protected by law, then it's the perpetrator that pressures them to abort. It's not the woman. The little girl, say it's a 12-year-old girl whose stepfather has impregnated her, the little girl does not want to have an abortion. She doesn't know what abortion is. She's pressured into having an abortion. She wants to, to have a family. She wants to have love. She wants to have someone she can hold. So the best thing we can do for women is to outlaw abortion in all circumstances. Mm. Agreed. I agree that. Um, in fact, I mean the circumstances. The circumstance that you just made an example to our audience for is an, is a reality for one of our past guests and one of our close friends of our show, Pro Life Radio, uh, Pro Life Fridays Radio, is our friend Anna Ritchie. Who oh, was that, yeah. Paul? Yeah, Anna Richard has volunteered to go on the video, and we hope to get testimony from her uh, later this month. Awesome. I would love I would love to see that happen because um, she is just a, a woman that is near and dear to my heart. And I just I love her having the courage to tell her story. Yeah, she has, she has an amazing testimony, and you can see her testimony online on YouTube. So it's, a, yeah. it's already out there, but we're going to get a, a more concise version of it and include it along with others. Right, right. Um, I wanted to add something to uh, what we were talking about, which is uh, how women are pressured to have abortions uh, for the just-in-case scenario. Perhaps there is some question about, you know, whether or not the child that she's carrying is going to be um, somehow you know, have a have a disease or have a genetic deformity or or I think the fear of having a disease or genetic de- deformity can also drive women to abort prematurely. And, you know, strange use of words, I was such a child. Um, my mother was 42 years old when I was born. And if, if everybody remembers back a few years ago during the 2008 elections, uh, right before the 2008 elections, um, Sarah Palin was the same age when her son was her last, her son Trig was born, and he had Down syndrome. And so there was a really uh, significant risk that I was going to be born with uh, Down syndrome when my mother was 42 years old. And now back in the <clears throat> 1970s when I was conceived, <laughs> they didn't do as much genetic testing. On, ch- on, on children that they do now. I don't think there was a demand for it, and I don't think that doctors had uh, used that 
use genetic testing as much. And I think my guess is that my mother's doctor had suggested that she um, consider abortion because of her age and that there was a higher risk for um, that I was a Down syndrome child. Now, of course, I well, don't I mean, have Even Down for parents who do have Down syndrome children, abortion is not a, an acceptable choice. Some right. 9 out of 10, they've done studies, and some 9 out of 10 children who are diagnosed with Down syndrome in the womb are aborted before they ever see the light of day. But Down syndrome right. children, those who choose to keep them, are, are very special. And even though they are stunted in their growth and stunted in their learning, they have a special ability to empathize with others, to sort of feel other, others' pain, and they enrich people's lives in very profound ways. We did an interview of a Down syndrome family just recently, and the child, you know, he was 10 years old, and he was very short, and it didn't, didn't speak very clearly, but he was such a joy to, to just be around. Everybody loved him. He was like the best friend of everybody in church, and, and people like this enrich the world. And what does it mean to be a human being? Does it mean to be all, all uh, healthy and rich and have everything that, that uh, is held up as being, you know, uh, a, a perfect life? <laughs> That's really not a perfect right. life. This is all for me to, to make this point that I think that the fear of, have, of what having a special needs child might be drives a lot of women to uh, accept abortion when um, she could have very easily been persuaded otherwise. Um, thankfully for me, my mother chose life. She did not buy the argument that just because she was 42 years old was a good enough reason in and of itself that to end my life. But, I mean, how many children that born in the, or not born, aborted in the same time period, because I was born after Roe v. Wade was, um, was passed in the Supreme Court, after the Roe v. Wade decision, uh, were aborted out of fear. Right. Yeah, and much of this fear is choked by the medical establishment because of insurance, liability, and basically financial reasons. They want to avoid a potential liability, and so they will stoke the fear. Oh, it's like, oh, you're going to have a Down syndrome child. It's going to be horrible. Your life is going to be ruined. You're going to require 24-7 attention. And yeah. But in fact, even though Down syndrome children often do require extra attention, they bring out the best in us, and they enrich our lives and families, and they're here for a reason. God, God made them for a reason just like anyone else, and, and they're not uh, of any less value to the world good corporate wage slaves. Right. Okay. Well, Keith, I want to thank you for calling in because um, I, I really, honestly, I don't really know what else to say about the being asked to be a part of your work. And um, thank you for thank you for what you're doing on behalf of not only the babies, but post-abortive women across this country and even across the world. So I want to say God bless you. Yes, thank you. It's a privilege, and thank you for your testimony. I'll, I'll uh, notify you, and you can tell your tell your listeners when uh, the video comes out, and uh, uh, appreciate your feedback. 
Now, we still do have uh, Ms. Davis on the line. We still have Catherine Davis on the line. She is still here. Now, Thomas, did you want um, our guest, Mr. Keith, here um, to have a dialogue with Ms. Davis? Well, he he could have, but he dropped oh, off. He so. just left us. <laughs> um, All right. Well, I wanted to thank him for being on the show. Um, Leticia, go ahead and play a break, and we'll get right back um, after after the break. Okay. Let's get a break for one more, uh, for a minute more, for a few minutes more. Uh, if you have any questions for um, our host, the number is 760-542-3907. You are listening to Pro-Life Fridays Radio. Welcome back. Are we 
Melissa. Melissa. Thomas. Yes. I think Did you we see? we have technical difficulties, but welcome back to the show. Here, this is Pro Life Fridays here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, the Visible One. And Leticia, I think that may have been Melissa's phone, not my phone, actually, making a noise. Hey, Thomas, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, wonderful. I think we lost Melissa when uh, I think they had a glitch somewhere. We lost a couple of audio uh, seconds where we couldn't hear each other. Yeah, that was um, Blog Talk Radio's going on. But in our in our last few minutes. Ms. Catherine, I won. I was wondering if you could share your feelings about the uh, abortionist in Houston, because oh, you had quite an opinion on that guy. Yeah, I I was shocked by the Terminate Gosnell story. Every day that we heard more testimony or read that grand jury report. I I didn't think I could get any more shocked than I was until I heard about this um, butcher in Houston, Texas. Uh, About a day or two after Gosnell was convicted uh, in his trial, news came out about a late-term abortionist in Houston, and the story just made me weep even more than I had been. I think I cried for an entire weekend about this guy because he is so evil that he delivers the baby alive and then twists its head off of its neck. That's his idea of abortion. He would stick his fingers down their throats until they suffocated. He would stick instruments in their soft spot. I mean, story after story. And one of the uh, examples that, and this all came from some of his former workers in his abortion center, and she talked about one of the babies that uh, uh, Carpin thought had died. His name, the abortionist's name is Douglas Carpin. He thought the baby was dead, but the baby was, in fact, alive. And the baby opened its eyes and looked at him and grabbed his finger. And that just sent chills up and down my spine, this little baby fighting for its life. Um, It immediately um, gave me the picture of the baby, I don't know if you'll remember, there was a baby, his name was Samuel, who was operated on years ago in utero, and he grabbed the doctor's hand. You remember that? That's what I saw in my mind, and and at least Samuel was allowed to, uh, to live. This baby was not, and this doctor was so callous in his regard for life uh, they reported that he would simply throw babies in the trash. Um, he told his workers, well, if you're bothered by this, just turn your head. 
But the thing that was even more disconcerting for me is that one of the abortion workers said she didn't know that what he was doing was illegal. She thought that this is what abortion was, that you induce labor and then you deliver uh, a live child to then be killed. And I thought, my Lord, what have we come to? Mm Mm-hmm. What have we come to in this nation that anyone could think that that's an appropriate way to deal with uh, a pregnant woman and her child? I just, somehow we have got to uh, make people aware of just how ugly abortion really is in this country and how it victimizes not only the baby, it takes the life of the baby, Sometimes it takes the life of the mother. But I tell you, every single last one of us should be haunted by this picture of of a man that calls himself a doctor delivering a child alive and then killing it by twisting its head off of its uh right. off of its neck. Right, right. right. The, the the fact that uh... There's so much about the situation that we can talk about. I mean, there's so it's a multifaceted. For those clinic workers who had the courage enough to step out and and give their story, um, yes, you are right in pointing out that these women did not realize that what Douglas Carpenter was doing was illegal. Um, goes to show. I mean, I, I mean, if anything. A woman walking into an abortion clinic should know that the the workers that are there attending to them probably don't have any medical training at all. Exactly, exactly. They don't, they haven't gone to, I mean, how do I say this? Abortion clinics masquerade as, as medical facilities, and that is probably the nicest thing I could say about what they do. Well, when oh, and they get built that way by the it's abortion farce. industry. Yeah, it is. Right. It's, it's a complete farce. I mean, you put somebody, I mean, they tell women to wear scrubs, the doctor comes in with a lab coat, and you believe that they're there to do something medically significant for, for women, and that is absolutely untrue. That's right. You might as well you have a safer you might have a safer experience going to a tattoo parlor. Oh, you For, certainly will because that parlor will be shut down the right. minute they harm you. But these abortionists for forty years have gotten a free pass and that's the thing that really uh to me uh, so greatly about the Gosnell trial because Planned Parenthood, National Abortion Federation, um, NARAL, none of them denounced what Gosnell did um, right. until after he was convicted. Instead, right. what they chose to do was to use what he had done to the babies and women as a commercial for Planned Parenthood, you know, because if if these poor women had been able to use their Medicaid money to 
to seek this abortion, then they could have gone to a nice, clean clinic like Planned Parenthood has. And I, right. was, I was just so angry to, to hear these um, rapidly pro-abortion billionaires having the nerve to take what Gosnell did to use as some kind of a commercial to promote Planned Parenthood, but also as a lobbying effort to get the Congress to say it's okay to use Medicaid. It is not okay. It is not healthy for the woman. It's not healthy for the child. And, And we need to put them on notice and say, you know, we're not a bunch of imbeciles. Like Margaret Sanger said, we were. We are not imbeciles, and we understand that these people, they're untrained, they're unlicensed, they they are using non-licensed personnel to give medication. That's what happened in Gosnell. That happened right here in Georgia where I Mm -hmm. live. Um, And the the narcotic that they were giving the uh, women here in Georgia was propofol, the drug that killed Michael Jackson. We have Mm. testimony from a woman who was knocked out for 24 hours after she had an abortion. She could not get up and walk out of the abortion facility under her own power. Her brother had to literally carry her out of the facility. She woke up 24 hours later feverish. Um, goes to the emergency room. They don't really examine her because she told them she had an abortion. They just guessed that she was at the beginning of endometriosis, gave her an antibiotic and sent her home, only to discover three or four days later that it was a botched abortion, and all this time she had been carrying her dead child inside of her. Oh, my goodness. So abortion wow. is not, it victimizes women, it victimizes the babies, it Absolutely. hurts the women, it reproductively names women. We have women all over the country, and I have been inviting people to contact me and let me know, inbox me. Finn, I did a blog recently. Um, if you Google my name, Katherine Davis, Catherine with a C, and let's talk about it. It will bring up my blog, and I'm inviting people to inbox me. We need to do this fight differently. We can't keep allowing the abortion industry to control the conversation, and we have to give voices to these women who have been so terribly hurt. Amen to that. I have been saying that up and down the show. We cannot let these abortion supporters run the narrative. We cannot let them control what is said and what is not said. That's right. And so we can get women to start coming forward, um, similar to what Silent No More does, but also um, just to give them a venue, an avenue. Maybe some women were recently hurt. And they want to find out if if they can sue one of these abortion doctors who has so viciously torn their bowels out or their intestines or, you know, whatever the injury. We want to be able to help them give voice to 
to what's been going on with them. And so I encourage people to inbox me. I give my email address in that blog, and the blog is Let's Talk About It and Google my name next to it, and it will immediately pull it up. And let's street fight this. That's what I say in my recently released book, uh, The Fight for Life, Taking It to the Street. It's time that we fight this fight in a way that we can bring an end to the scourge that is abortion in America. Totally agree. And um, with that, Thomas, do you have any more questions for our guests? I do. And, Leticia, I'm also going to have okay. you close close out the show because uh, – All right. But Ms. We're running up against the time here for that, so – um, please continue. Letitia. But notice Letitia. our time is short. Letitia. Okay. I um I just wanna say this, Miss Catherine, here's here's the biggest thing that I wanna see us do. The the abortion lobby they've got cushy and comfortable. Quite frankly, and maybe you might call me a little vicious in this manner, if there's one time that the race card really should be played, it's in this it's in this battle. Because quite frankly, I think every abortion supporter, whether they're black or white, should be labeled as they should have the stigma stigma of a race. And we need to drive that point home because it's the truth. We need to make them so uncomfortable. We need to start giving the liberal democratic supporters uh, a taste of their own medicine to the point where they can no longer ignore the facts. What's your feeling on that? You know, so many women are being hurt. It is a factual statement that black women are disproportionately impacted by abortion in this nation, but I'm going to tell you, every woman um, at right. this juncture is being hurt, and I think I don't think it's playing the race card to point out a factually uh, accurate statement that blacks yeah, are being that's... impacted at a greater rate than other ethnicities. But you know what? This is one of those fights that black, white, brown. Red, whatever ethnicity you may be of, we can come together as one and in unity shut down this scourge that is crippling so many women around the country. Amen. That's that's a good point. That's a very good point. Um, Wow. Wow. This This was a good date. Day, despite all the technical difficulties, um, you um, you uh, you are phenomenal. Thank you, thank you for coming on and sharing your um, testimony, and also um, just sharing your heart. I'm also going to be calling on you to see if you'd be wanting to share your testimony. In my in my project that I've shared with you as well earlier, so I'll be calling you again. But is there any um, lasting words or parting words that you have um, for our listeners? Just to join the fight, and I want to thank you guys so much for having me on. But encourage your listeners join the fight. Reach out to Thomas. Reach out to me. 
let us um, end this scourge before too many of our sisters and daughters and aunties and cousins and nieces uh, fall for the lie that abortion is in America. Thank you again, guys. God bless. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you for being on Pro-Life Friday. All right. With that, uh, it is time. It's been too long since we had the the stupidest thing ever. Um, And I I found one. (laughs) And it'll take me a minute to explain why I think this is the stupidest thing ever. But um, I'm going to explain it. Deb Bush, the brother of... George W. Bush, former president of the United States, uh, and from, and Jeb Bush, who is the former governor of the state of Florida, who is looking to be possibly a presidential hopeful for 2016. I ain't seeing it at this point, but he has come out and talked a little bit about uh, the nation's illegal immigrant issue, and... He had said, let me quote, we, he, he, well, he, his position is we need to find a way to legalize illegal immigrants in kind of a carte blanche amnesty fashion because, and he says, immigrants are more fertile and they love families. Immigrants create far more businesses than native-born Americans over the last 20 years. Uh, okay. The reason, now, I, I'm not trying to disparage Jeb Bush or what he said. Let's take for, let's take at face value. Let's just assume that what he said is true, that immigrants are more fertile and they love families. What is that really saying about uh, the Americans that were born here, born and raised here, that we are not more fertile and we that don't you're not procreating families, enough, and that we're not procreating enough, and that we don't create businesses and thrive as immigrants do. Now, I aside from the legal fact, I don't know why that makes immigrants have to be illegal in order to make this a true statement. My parents were certainly immigrants who were legal, and, yes, they came and started families and had successful businesses and and lived the American dream. I don't know what being illegal has anything to do with that. So why we're trying to legalize illegal immigrants is beyond the scope of this discussion. I don't even know why this is even being discussed. Now, the part of that I want to say that is the dumbest and the stupidest thing ever, is why Jeff Bush had felt like that he needed to say something like this at all. Assuming that it is true that the native-born American person, families, are not more fertile, how does that mean we need to make illegal immigrants legal? Assume that we hate family. How does that mean illegal immigrants should be made legal? I don't know. Can't do you know? And here's where I see the pro-life angle in that. The the birth rate in America is plateauing. It's flatlining. 
and we're going to see a dip as many baby boomers um, begin to retire and do pass away. There are so many of them that uh, they outnumber those in our the following generation significantly. So we will see a falling birth rate compared to the death rate. As our guest had said earlier, uh, we had for the first time more Americans dying than being born in this country. And I think that's going to be true, just on the logistics of this. Uh, the thing that I want to say about that is it is, it is assuming that immigrants are going to solve the fertility problem. Well, okay, if they're going to solve this fertility problem, first you have to admit there is a problem, and then you have to admit that so, uh, one huge source of the problem is legal abortion. Right. Legal abortion has contributed to the death of what well, has been the direct cause, I should say, of the death of 55 and up million Americans. 55 million Americans. Right. And more than that. And then some. What? Right. If we have a fertility problem, maybe we should think about stopping the death of the unborn so that they can right. become That's a good born. Point. Right. And if we don't love families, how is adding pe- I mean, I that I just I, I kind of want to touch it and then let it go because it is so ridiculous. Well, save it says, for next week, them. my friend. Save it for next week. <laughs> so so uh. I wanted to say that is the stupidest thing ever is for him to have said that. Now, I'm not saying that Jeb Bush is stupid. I'm not saying what he said is stupid. But the occasion for him to say such a thing is stupid. And it is the stupidest right. thing ever for this week. And well, you want me to you? All right. Yes, and I will be... Oh, before you hit the music, our guest next week is Mr. Alan Parker of the Justice Foundation talking about the Justice Foundation and the Liberty Legal Council joining to um, defend Arkansas's 12-week abortion ban. So tune in next week to Reality and Well. All right. Friday's Radio. Friday's Radio. With Thomas, myself, Letitia Wong, and Melissa Pelu. This is going to be a great show. Welcome back, Fulwood Lona. Welcome back, back next week. Have a great great evening. Good night. Good night. Try to pull me into the